that self-compassion to some degree means a willingness to let go of prescription and of trying to protocol or predict where we're going, how a process is going to look or feel. Hey everyone, it's KJ and this is the Stories of Astonishing Light podcast. Today it's my honor to introduce you to my incredible guest, Dr. Ariel Schwartz. She is a psychologist, a highly sought-after speaker across international stages, a teacher, a yoga instructor, and she is a leading voice in the healing of PTSD and complex trauma. She is the author of five books on complex PTSD, EMDR, and somatic psychology, and her newest book, The Complex PTSD Treatment Manual, in which she outlines a mind-body approach to trauma recovery, Head and Heart, Science and Art, will be released next week on June 8th, 2021. In our kind, compassionate conversation today, we speak of the power in proclaiming aloud our intentions for healing in the name of service for others. And we take a moment to identify practices for ourselves that are deeply self-nourishing. I felt like I could breathe for the first time in months after connecting with her in this nurturing space, and I think you can literally hear me melt over the course of our conversation. Also, by the end of our talk, I had arrived at some informed conclusions and decisions on which I have been ruminating for quite some time. Perhaps after hearing Dr. Schwartz's warmth, you'll also decide to join me in the free Mind-Body Therapy Summit that started just today, Wednesday. In that summit, she'll be guiding us on sensory motor psychotherapy to work with the movement and posture of the body, which would help us facilitate integration of internal attachment tendencies, as well as improve relationships and our coping abilities during stressful times. Here is the wise and wonderful Dr. Ariel Schwartz. I've been looking for ways to integrate art and movement and sound. And then now as I'm foraying into trauma-informed yoga, I am trying to find that connector and have always kind of kept it separate. And lately, it's just been this wonderful discovery of what it looks like when it merges together and how it can help so many people. I'm very curious in creativity and the psychology around creativity. And I've found that there are so many profound transformative experiences that are often buried. Then when we open up to the creativity, Mm -hmm. it's interesting the way that we can start the healing and the growth process in addressing trauma. I also work for the Red Cross. I'm a disaster mental health responder. And I was looking into the neuroscience of, of yoga for trauma. I saw that you do vagus nerve yoga. You are doing so many of the things that I was hoping to also do at the same time. One of my questions today might be actually, how are you doing all of the things? (laughs) Oh, oh, that's so sweet. No, I think it's very parallel in a lot of ways to what you just shared, which is that we find our path through what we love. And maybe in a way, that's a great place to start is just like following that thread of what calls us and where we feel drawn. And it may not always be clear as to like why we're going in the direction that we're going. But for me, I think I was originally drawn to the world of embodiment and somatic psychology when I was in my undergraduate studies. 
I was an undergrad and now looking back that I was very disconnected from my body as a result of a lot of the trauma that I experienced as a child. And I didn't really know that I was disconnected because you just live as you live, you know, yourself to be who you are. I went to a body-mind centering workshop and in the workshop, we were doing all of these embodiment exercises of really partnering up with others and having someone else just hold your head or doing these kind of rocking movements. And at the end of this weekend, I came out with a new felt experience of myself. And I said, what is that? I want more of that. I'm kind of afraid of that. Like a little bit of both, yes. but I felt something. And so that awakened the next piece of curiosity. And I felt something really similar. I would experience something similar on my yoga mat. And so those experiences accumulated. By the way, you might hear some thunder in the background. We're getting a fabulous thunderstorm here in Colorado at the moment. So I hear a little, little background noise. But anyway, so I had these similar experiences on the yoga mat where I would experience after yoga practice, like my anxiety would be less, my mind would be calmer. I felt more empowered in my body, all of those experiences. So at the age of 22, I basically did two things at once. I did my yoga teacher training and I began my studies of somatic psychology. There were quite a few events that occurred when you were young. Would you say there was one particular event that led you into the somatic work or even just trying yoga? Sure. I think for me, it goes back to why I write books also about complex trauma and complex PTSD is that the event itself was an accumulation of all of these wounds in part related to the wounding of being raised by narcissists on one side of my family. And so that experience of actually the missing pieces, the lack of attunement, the being misunderstood, the being judged versus being welcomed and accepted, the lack of a feeling of belonging and kind of being under the lens of scrutiny. And to combine that with being five or six or seven years old, and then going from there, this one cannot help but internalize that in some way or another. And my personal way of responding to that was to somaticize. It's relatively common, but it was certainly one of the ways that I coped was I got sick a lot. I would get chronic sore throats. I would feel, quote unquote, like I lose my voice and literally I would lose my voice. But I also felt voiceless and had repeated experiences of feeling disempowered in that way. So because I carried so much of it in my body, and that was just one example, there were others that I was very drawn to understanding this body-mind connection under chronic stress, under experiences where we feel trapped, like there's no way out. And to then understand also, how do we engage the body to heal? When did you realize that you had a voice in the way that you could share it and write books? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great story in itself. It's actually a, a little bit of a telling story. Because I initially was writing my first book and I had no idea that it would be of value to other people. No idea. Uh, This was the complex PTSD workbook. And so I was writing this in the privacy of my own home or in my office and I would have different thoughts or I would write them down. And I actually, this is a really powerful story about intention. 
I was teaching a yoga class and I had at that time, this was in 2015, and I was had gotten to teach my class and I had this really lovely group of students, all of whom had been taking class with me for quite a few years. So we had a very intimate class environment. And I shared with that class on this particular day in May of 2015. I've decided that I'm going to write this book. No, it was 2016. I have to place it. It was 2016 in May. And I said to the class, I said, I've decided that this book that I'm writing, I really want it to be published. And I'd like to find a publisher who wants to publish it. And so I think that moment of voicing it, of recognizing for myself, I think what I'm putting together has some value. And I named it. And I go back to my office after I'm done teaching class and I open up my email. I had carved out a few hours to write that afternoon and an email pops up that says, Dr. Schwartz, we're a publishing group in California and we'd like to speak to you about publishing a book with us. Holy moly. Really? Like that just happened? Yes, because (laughs) you summoned, you said it aloud. It was a wild story. Oh my gosh, I have tears. That's incredible. It was a really incredible moment. And I'd been writing a lot already at that point, right? They wouldn't have found me had I not already been putting my voice into the world. So I had a lot of blogs out there and that was how they found me was through, through the blogs. And um, so we ended up arranging to speak the next day. I was under contract in a week and there we went. Oh my gosh. So So are you still with them? With that same publisher? I am not. I've done two books with them. And, and it was, it was a really powerful experience because once again, even when I wrote that first book, I thought, well, maybe a few people will benefit from this book. Like, how do we know? who we're going to touch or what influence we're going to have. I just didn't know. And there's a section in in my next book. So I wrote that one first, and then I wrote the post-traumatic growth guidebook. And there's a section in the post-traumatic growth guidebook that's called Claim Your Worth. That section has to do with this first story, because I didn't know that what I had to say was worthy, even when I put my first book in the world. And here we are five years later from that publication of the first book with over 60,000 books sold, that book alone. And that was the moment when I was like, oh, wait a second. Not only is it a value, I get emails daily from folks that are saying, this is how it changed my life. And so it wasn't until there was this reciprocal relationship where I took the risk to put that creative piece into the world and it was received and reflected back of like how it landed for someone else that I started to come out of that very self-degradating, dismissive, Mm -hmm. discounting voice. And of course I had been in therapy and we all have our ways of healing through that, but there was something really profound about that creative process and engaging with the world and taking that kind of courageous leap to have the voice in the world that then anchored it at that next level. Wow. It all really seems to interweave and, and, and connect. If you hadn't had the intimate, safe environment of that first yoga class, for instance, right. that first cohort, maybe you wouldn't have felt safe enough at that point to voice aloud. Right. I'm thinking about doing this thing. And then then, like you had said, you'd already been on one level putting yourself out there, but it was the actual act of proclaiming it and saying with such decisiveness, I feel was the catalyst, the shift. It was a profound turning point. And I think it has to do a lot with really believing in, in myself and 
in, and also at some level kind of believing that there is a, something larger than me that yeah. is at play here. Yeah. When people ask you what you do and what you're about and being the multi-hyphenate, but also just you're involved in so many wonderful projects, how do you introduce yourself? And is there something that you maybe mentioned first? Sure. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I would say that I probably start with a clinical psychologist, but it's a not fully understood phrase, but I use it quite mindfully because I do really feel like there's this balance between the kind of heart of presence that one learns in this field and also combined with the kind of scientist in me. Yeah. And I value both kind of those left and right sides of my my brain in that way of so that there is part of me that just loves to read and study and understand how the body and mind work and understand how healing happens. So there's left and right, and then there's kind of top and bottom. So there's the head and the heart and the body. So to bring in in my kind of personal identity as a yoga practitioner and a yoga teacher is that other element of what is it that I love or am drawn to? If you give me a day off, what am I going to do? I'm going to yes. probably spend a good <laughs> chunk of time on my yoga mat. Okay. I'm going to spend some time writing because I love to write. Mm. And I'm going to spend time in nature because that nourishes me. Absolutely. And I'll spend time with my family because that's what it's all about anyway, I guess. It really is. It really is. And you're leading into one of my questions I tend to wrap my interviews up with, which is, can you tell me a little bit of, of your favorite forms and most impactful forms of self-compassion? You've named some key elements. Absolutely. It, it's returning to family, returning to what would you do if given the time? When you have the day off, what do you choose to do? I love mm. that you knew right away how to answer that. I'm sure you've encountered people who don't have an answer right away for yeah. how they take care of themselves, how they can show some compassion towards self. Mm -hmm. Yes. The practice of showing up on my mat, while I like external form or structure, I think the most compassionate way for me to show up with myself is actually with a willingness to be with whatever is present or moving through me without needing to change it, redirect it, be aggressive toward it in any way, right? So if it's that I wake up in the morning and there's my shoulder is tight or I feel fatigued, then that's where I start and that the practice will evolve. I, I never know what I'm going to feel or even what exactly I'm going to do in my practice between when I step on my mat and when I leave it. But there is always some transformational journey that occurs, even in the midst of an hour long time on my mat. And I, know, I see you nodding. I, I know you understand this experience. So I think that self-compassion to some degree means a willingness to let go of prescription and of trying to protocol or predict where we're going, how a process is going to look or feel. I am letting that wash over and sink in. I think that's exactly what I needed to hear today. Let's take a second to pause in this amazing conversation for a quick check-in. If you're enjoying this episode and have found value in the stories from the guests who've joined me on the podcast, I would love it if you could rate and leave a review for the show. You can do so on Apple Podcasts or any of your listening platforms. Your reviews help boost visibility of the show and spread the word to more listeners. 
Plus, I love hearing from you. If you have found anything you've heard on this show valuable or helpful for you, please let us know. And it's really easy to do. And it takes maybe a minute. You can go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash astonishing stories. Also, a little something to consider. Every review you leave enters you into a chance for winning a free 30-minute private session with me to discuss anything of your choice. I'll pick the name of the winner every Friday and announce it on my Instagram and Facebook stories. So let's hear it, friends. Ratethispodcast.com forward slash astonishing stories. I really appreciate you. Like, how do we embrace the unknown? That's exactly what I'm doing right now. (laughs) (laughs) I love, though, and I really resonate with the taking out the preciousness Mm -hmm. of what comes, what comes, but at the same time, honoring what Mm -hmm. comes. So being precious with it, but not limiting. That's really, really important. You literally name some of the body parts that I'm feeling right now, the shoulders, the neck, and it's pretty phenomenal when you listen, when we listen, the messages and the stories that the body has to share with us. And so I do love that you just summed it so beautifully and articulately, just without prescription, without expectations, without judgment. Mm -hmm. Let's see what these stories are. Let's see where I need to work today, not necessarily come in with this agenda, but mm-hmm. listen to where where we need to start. And it could be somewhere unexpected, yeah. or it could be somewhere that we do know, but we've been avoiding. That's kind of where I find myself these days. Right. You know, what actually comes to mind as, as you're speaking is that there are times in which self-compassion is really hard to muster for any of us. Yes. We can't hold all of those vulnerable places in ourselves by ourselves, nor are we meant to. So that's where relationships with safe others is so mm-hmm. key, is that if we know who to turn to and where to turn when we're feeling vulnerable and having that safe connection with another person who can basically hold the space for compassion when we're struggling to hold that for ourselves. Yes. It was just this weekend, my husband threw out his back. Oh boy. Uh, Yeah. And I was having beautiful in the Bay Area right now. There's all these blooms. But what comes with the blooms is the allergies and the sinus congestion. So So he and I were horizontal this weekend, both of us in various levels of pain, me in my head and sinuses, Mm -hmm. him, his back. Mm -hmm. And what we found to be the most compassionate thing was for us to be horizontal together Mm -hmm. and rest and sort of remind each other, why are you getting up right now and answering that work email? Mm -hmm. Why is it that that you feel like you need to do the laundry right now? He started Mm -hmm. to move over and pick up the laundry basket to do laundry. And I was like, babe, babe, you you threw out your back. Is this this the time to do this? And it's interesting the way that we were programmed. Well, it's Saturday. It's the weekend. These are the things that we need to do. And very easily we discarded the value of being horizontal, being quiet, not doing as we think we're supposed to. And we just get a lot of reinforcement for being busy. 
Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Productive. Productive. That's right. Let's show something for it. Let's build something. So he got funny for a second. He was just like, well, yeah, because next I'm going to build a house. (laughs) And so we both, it was a really lovely reminder of that we could be safe for each other. And, but it took some reminding. It took a little bit of a deprogramming. And so with tears and we did nap, but we did have the most, I'd say, compassionate weekend that I can remember in recent memory. Mm. And uh, we were both able to move forward today. But I really love what you said about identifying and knowing who your safe relationships or your safe relationships are. And so that was lovely. I know I'm mindful of time. So I'm trying to think of uh, maybe one other question that I could ask that might help sum some things up. I'm a big storyteller and story Mm -hmm. exchanger. And what we're saying is that our bodies are incredible story resources. What is the story behind your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, goodness. (laughs) I don't you know what's kind of funny right now? So this is this is the story that comes to mind because my mind's going, childhood, well, I've always loved mint chocolate chip, but but I don't eat dairy anymore. I just, <laughs> oh, my relationship to ice cream really had to change. Yes. But in some ways, I guess it lends itself to a, a valuable story, which is that sometimes we think that something is good for us. And we get so attached to that. And the process of letting go, and of course, to let go of dairy ice cream is so easy nowadays, because you've got almond milk ice cream and coconut ice cream, my personal favorite, right? Yes, like you've cashew. Got a lot of yes I've just discovered right? a cashew, oh, cashew ice cream. It's really good too. Yes. I've had that too. Yes. It's very creamy. Yes. So, but what I didn't know about my love of ice cream prior to dropping dairy was the ways in which it actually was leading me to feel pretty awful. Yes. A hundred percent. When I, and I dropped not just ice cream, but I also have like the, maybe the hardest part of dropping dairy was dropping cheese because I love cheese. You were speaking my love language. Find dairy free cheese options, but they're just not the same. They're not. And ice cream was easier than cheese. Yes. But once I actually committed, and it's been, I think, three years now that I've dropped dairy, the changes overall made it so worth it that I don't even crave it anymore. Oh, my gosh. And I just find that whole topic fascinating of like where we're actually drawn towards something that has a certain degree of toxicity for Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. And until we recognize where like until we can really tune in perhaps even to what it feels like without it and how we feel better we we're just inside of that ocean that's all we know that's the only self we know I just thought that the congestion and all of kind of soreness and heaviness that I carried in my body was just who I was yes and then I dropped dairy and I was like wait a second that wasn't even my body I know. I know. It's shocking. I didn't actually recognize it myself until I did a a cleanse, like a 10, 15 day cleanse. Like you had said, I went without. And then as I started to feel, oh my goodness, so much better. And then started to try to reintegrate it and then felt terrible again. I was just like, so you're saying that I've spent 40 plus years. Uh (laughs) Exactly. 
eating something that really, no wonder I wasn't supposed to feel bad, but how would we know? Yeah. And it ties, you know, it's, it's an interesting story. I don't think it's at all the direction you expected your question to go, but I think it's an interesting story. Well, that's the beauty of this. You don't, that's right. you don't have any expectations. <laughs> that's good. But I, I think that's the piece is that it actually really awakened me to look at all of the different gut mental health connections that there are out there. And you just can't deny it. Like for a long time, I experienced brain fog. And for anyone, you know, of your listeners, or if you yourself have experienced that, it is debilitating. Yes. Yes. And you feel like something's wrong with you. At least I did. And I Mm -hmm. felt ashamed and I felt like I had to hide it. And it, it was just like this heaviness. And then I realized, well, wait a second, it's my gut that's causing this. And that's, that's actually where my first cleanse came in. And when I was able to shift that, and it was coming at it both from the gut and also from the mental health piece, because it was trauma that was the imbalance and the gut. So it was a combination. And so working on my own trauma simultaneously to really attending to my body and what helped me feel more balanced. And when that brain fog lifted, which now is pretty much gone for for good, it's, it's again, a whole different sense of what's possible. Oh my gosh, absolutely. You touched on so many things that I was just like, oh, we could write a book just about this one piece. (laughs) My ice cream story just briefly is it's surrounded in comfort Uh and I was grieving the loss. My father passed away when I was really young Mm. and the way that my childhood best friends and I would while away those days, Mm. especially in the summer, would be to walk to the local liquor store and see if we could get ice cream cones. And for me, that was my comfort. That was my healing. That that was my joy when I was feeling such loss. I couldn't even tell you if I had a favorite ice cream flavor, although mint chip is mint chip <laughs> up there. But I did love, love, love this interaction and this time spent with my friends involved in this summertime activity that mm-hmm. brought such joy and lightness to me. And so I don't really eat all that much ice cream either. And I don't eat dairy much anymore either. But when I do, I know it's because I'm needing a little bit of surrounding, a little bit of comfort, nostalgia. Mm-hmm. And I do feel so, so calm and joyful, young. When yeah. <laughs> Especially on a cone. Right. right. <laughs> okay. Well, Dr. Schwartz, it has been so nice to talk with you. Thank you so much for your time today. You have a number of speaking events and wonderful courses and classes that you teach. Is there anything coming up? I think you have a few things. There is. In fact, the the one that I probably will bring folks attention to, which I'm just a small part of, but the whole summit is fantastic, is again with the Embody Lab and they're having the Mind Body Summit coming up. And I'm so really excited about that. And um, starting in September, so that's coming up in June, mm-hmm. uh, June 2nd, but starting in September, Embody Lab and I are partnering together to create a somatic therapy certification program that I'm thrilled about because I get asked all the time, should I study sensory motor? Should I study somatic experiencing? Which direction should I go? We're going to have Peter Levine as part of our faculty, plus Kakuni Minton, who's one of the developers of the sensory motor program, Deb Dana, Steve Porges, myself. It is going to be just a knock it out of the park program. And that's going to be a 60 hour somatic therapy certification program. So, well, you'll see me there because 
I literally have been studying all the folks that you've mentioned, Mm -hmm. and I was looking for something like that. Great. Yeah. And I'll also just let you know that, and you probably saw this already, but I have my latest book, which is the Complex Trauma Treatment Manual that just came out. It's for pre-order now. It comes out on June 7th. And I'm thrilled about this book because it brings together everything that we just talked about, like somatic psychology, EMDR, parts work therapies, even gut brain axis, and how do we integrate some yoga and awareness of nutrition into trauma treatment. So it has all of it in there. My goodness. Well, I will make sure that folks can see where all of this and where you can be found and the upcoming events, which I'm going to be a part of pretty much all of them. Good. Good. Well, it looks for you there. Yes. Yes. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thank you. This is a lovely treat. Well, my dear ones, how are you after our conversation? Could you hear the rolling thunder in the background? And could you feel the melting away of the tension in your shoulders in the same way that I noticed for myself? Dr. Schwartz, I think, has such an accessible presence. And though we might be unpacking complex, layered, and sometimes uncomfortable topics, stress, depression, trauma, she still can create and meet us in a surrounding safe space. So of course, I took a lot of notes and I have lots of takeaways from the treasure trove of conversation that we just experienced. And I'm curious if you have some similar notes or ideas. So I'll share with you mine and I would love to hear from you on what stood out for you. First, noticing the somatic connection in your own life. What are your body's coping mechanisms? What messages are being carried and communicated to you through your body? Were you sick often? Are you sick often? Is there pain? Are you having some sleep difficulties? Did you literally feel like you had no voice, had a sore throat often? Taking the risk to put your gift in the world, someone will be impacted by it. Know that what you have to say is valuable and it becomes a conscientious effort to believe in self and your ability to co-create with a larger plan and system. Self-compassion practices can look like whatever it is that we love doing, what feels nourishing, could be writing, making music, spending time in nature, family time. Another note I made, which Dr. Schwartz mentioned near the end of our conversation, which is how interesting it is to be drawn towards something that has actually a certain degree of toxicity for us, even though it was born from something light like ice cream flavors, right? And then lastly, there's so many possibilities and there's so many interrelated modes and methods our bodies use to communicate with us on a total whole health goal gut health, mental health, and trauma recovery are all connected. How is it that nutrition can impact our trauma recovery? We could go on for a while. And those were just a couple of my thoughts. But the show notes have all the links to learning more about Dr. Ariel Schwartz, her breadth of wisdom, and all of her numerous offerings. Her newest book, The Complex PTSD Treatment Manual, comes out next week on June 8th. Today is the first day of the Mind-Body Summit through Embody Lab. Please join me if you'd like to. It is completely free and it is five days of incredible leaders, healers, psychologists, 
yoga teachers guiding us through this incredibly unique time. And Dr. Schwartz will guide us through a sensory motor psychotherapeutic perspective for handling stress. A couple updates from me. Lots of places to find me and get into mischief. I'm on the Roundtable podcast that my friends and I have created. It's called Connected. It's hosted by my friends Fawn and Matt of Our Friendly World. And a new episode has been released every Wednesday. I would love it if you would take a listen and let us know what you think. It's a lot of fun. It's anywhere from five to eight of us getting together and jamming about all the ways that we could connect as friends and uplift one another and our communities. Also, my creativity and compassion workshops are returning. Later this month in June, we'll be diving into another 90 minutes of reconnecting with our intuition, artistry, and resilience through art, movement, and sound. If you want to be notified on how you can sign up and register for my next workshop, join my email list at blissbeginswithin.com, or you can tap the link in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Stories of Astonishing Light podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can support this podcast in a few different ways. First, you could post a screenshot of the podcast on your Instagram and Facebook stories or in your feeds and tag me at Bliss Begins Within or Musings on Other, and I can repost you. Another way to spread the love is to share this podcast with your friends and family, anyone whom you think might enjoy it as well. A third way to support this podcast is to subscribe, download, and leave a positive review on any of the platforms you listen to the show on. In this way, we can continue to grow our audience and reach more listeners. A quick and direct way to leave a review is by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash astonishing stories. I am so grateful to spend this time with you exchanging such uplifting tales of resilience. We'll see you next time. Thank you.